Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Friday here at the Beauty Archeo. I'm your host, Professor Noir, and we are broadcasting live on Full Service Radio from the Line Hotel in D.C. And we are here with a returning guest, a very special person in my life, Miss Anna Latour. Please say hi to everyone. Hello, hello. How's everyone doing? I'm sure they're feeling good, because if they could respond, we would hear them. <laughs> I know, I know. I, but it's kind of like, you know... People on TV and on YouTube and stuff still say, how are you guys doing today? They do, because they're polite. We're polite. Yeah. You know, it feels, I, I feel like there is a live studio audience that's just very quiet. Also, like, <laughs> as someone listening, I, I, I want to know, like, oh, they want to know how I'm doing? And then, like, you know. Yeah. No, I want to, I want to. Build a relationship with your listeners. Build, build a relationship. Don't build walls. Um. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I know. Lord Voldemort is always here. He's right. always around. Damn him. Um, so, yeah, this is your fashion history comedy podcast for those who are just tuning in for the first time. Um, I love history. It is my favorite thing to talk about. It's my favorite thing to, like, read about and, like, just just take it all in at any time of the day. Anytime there's a new fact, I love to learn about and explore it more. And so that's how this podcast came about. I also have this very deep obsession and love and like religious, almost religious, like um, worship for fashion and the culture of fashion, what it means, what it's given us, you know, to humankind since antiquity. And so that's, how all these elements came about. And I just also love to laugh. <laughs> Get That's out the of creepiest here. laugh it's ever. so creepy. So <laughs> creepy. What if I really laugh like that every time we told a joke? I would not tell any jokes. <laughs> I just would stop talking to you. I would be morbidly unfunny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like so monotone and dead ass serious all the time. <laughs> Only talk about horrific subjects. It's just this really sad, sad things. It just never make me laugh. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, uh, you know, I always love to just like unpack, you know, my emotions before I really dive into a subject. And you are, just to remind guests if they have not known about you, but you are a um, nightlife performer. Mm-hmm. Um, you go, I am, I am. you go by your actual name, which is Anna Latour on stage. Um, you don't have necessarily a, a persona. I would say you are, you on stage and off stage. It's literally the same person. You guys she, pretty much. She does scream like that. Even off stage. I know this personally because we now share a home of like crazy art and like fashion in this house. We do. Yeah. We live together and we create. Crazy, crazy, crazy. We, what did we do the other, the other week? What we, did we do? No. On Sunday, I get home after work, you know, because I have to work a day job as an artist, and it's really hard um, out here for, for a drag queen. Um, I'm just joking. It is, but I'm also just joking. I'm not trying to be sad. And um, I get home, and I just want to relax to, you know, a lovely marathon of the practice circa early 2000s with Dylan McDermott. I miss you. And... <laughs> Um, this heifer, she has to, she has to create 
a promo for her upcoming show, Daughter Issues. And she's like, okay, so I want to fill the bathtub with blue water. I want you to eat spaghetti and I'm going to film it. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, are you going to stain the bathtub? <laughs> no, we used acrylic paint. It didn't stain. It didn't stain. We ate spaghetti, a lovely... Lovely um, home-cooked spaghetti meal. Like a bolognese. cigarettes in the bathtub. A beef bolognese spaghetti. It was really good. <laughs> we smoked cigarettes. We wore cute underwear. That bath water was really gross. <laughs> it's like full of, It looked like it had like broken up cigarettes in it. Yeah. Fucking hamburger meat. It just looked like anti-acid like medicine. It was gross. It was gross, but it was beautiful. It was yeah. like lovely Tiffany medicinal blue. Yeah. <laughs> visually, it was stunning. Visually, it was stunning. Um, you also had that weird spotlight on us on a on a tripod, so it was getting creepy. Yeah, it was, <laughs> I don't even know. But the promo was amazing, and so I want to actually talk about your show, Dada Issues, in terms of just like some. I just want to like really unpack that because you, as a performer, you do the nightclub stuff. You know, you do the drag queen stuff. You know, you've done bingos and all those other things, all the traditional. I call it Chitlin Circuit drag queen stuff, which is a term for black performers. Back in the day when they were going from nightclub to nightclub back in like the 20s into the 50s into the 60s. And like, you know, like you were just like really on the circuit. And um, but your show Dada Issues subverts all of that. And it is a show that is in four parts. It is an exploration into your brain like no one's ever seen before. Exploration, it's an exploration into your life. I can't talk right now. <laughs> and um, could you just tell people a little bit about Dada Issues and what that is? Because we, yeah, I, got um, to perform, I had the opportunity, everyone, of performing with you, and it was an honor. And we had never really performed together, just the two of us in the show. We've known each other for like... Six years. So six years. And we've never performed together in a show, just the two of us. And it was... I'm still shaking from it because of just. Yeah, I'm like, on like a crazy emotional high from it. it yeah. Was, <laughs> but could you tell? Yeah. Um, yeah, so the show is. I wanted to. I was so tired of people calling like pop up things at like, you know, DJ nights, like shows. I'm yeah. like, well, that's a performance, but I wouldn't necessarily call it a show. Like, yeah. Give me the theater. Give me, give me a narrative. Give me a concept. Yeah, exactly. You know, just, give me a story. Yeah, you know? And, um,. So I created this show like when I was like 19 um, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like a surrealistic retelling of Dante's Divine Comedy. Mm. And so I decided to pack... Um, you freaking nerd, you. <laughs> so I, I decided to take like the first canto and then kind of explore that kind of in the, in the first chapter. And then the second chapter, we kind of like went into the inferno. Yes. And, I, like, and it was like this crazy, 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 like heavy metal rock and roll set with like... Uh, the stage design was all like neon electric. There was like hot pink bondage crosses everywhere, like St. Andrew's crosses. And, like, like, oh my God, this show, two, everyone. There was a two scale <laughs> model of the Hollywood Hills yes. on one side of the stage. I was my, there for this. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah, that my sister uh, helped me create um, using like an AutoCAD <laughs> system to get it like exactly to scale. Um, and so it was like this kind of like being trapped in between like bondage and celebrity and kind of this like weird like personal hellscape for a, a performer. Um, and then, so in the, in the one that we just did together, it was kind of like, uh, it was purgatory. It was purgatorio. And, uh, I was like, what better kind of, uh, metaphor for purgatory than like constantly allowing yourself to just like wallow in heartbreak. Exactly. And so I wanted to kind of like, you know, with the set design and everything, we recreated my actual bedroom on stage. Yes. And you've been in my room. We live together. Yes. It looks exactly like we were. We, we both have our closets on the floor. (laughs) 
Yeah, so yeah, the stage had like my bed and my my nightstand and my lamps and like all of my real dirty laundry just like splayed across the bar. I actually, um, <laughs> when she left the house and I had to leave the house as well, and I looked into her room, I was just like, oh wow, she really cleaned. Like all the clothes are put away, everything's gone. Like it looks so clean in here, so open. And I get to the stage, I'm like, oh, it's all here. Yeah, <laughs> no, that was uh, my person in my life was like oh the room is so clean is it in the closet i was like no it's not in the closet yeah it's somewhere else so next time i clean i should just bring it to like set bring it to use it as a set piece just don't even put it away so my room will not be clean once i go collect the set from the venue i want the mirror back in the house as well our floor length mirror is missing which i noticed and no one said anything and i went to look at my outfit the other day or last night and i was just like oh there's no mirror here. So I'm bringing it. I'll go get it today. I did not wear a long dress because of you. Just letting you know. Okay? I couldn't Just see the hem. Just stand further away from a regular size mirror. <laughs> I couldn't see the hem. Okay? <laughs> oh, my God. But I want to say, like, Dada Issues really is a show that really has changed, I think, how people see the potential of what drag can be. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And you, I hope that doesn't sound self-indulgent. No, you did that. You worked on it. You yeah, worked really worked hard. Two you years put, on it. Yeah, you put your life, you put your heart and soul into every single one of these Dada issues. I mean, it just it reminds me kind of similar of what, you know, like, um, big drag race star, bald... Sasha Valor. Sasha Valor. You know, like, Nightgowns is a show that started as you know really transforming what drag shows can be for people and what that means showing that the medium can you can take the medium and apply it in different ways and apply in different ways yes at the end of the day it's performance art yeah it's it's a it's a medium of performance art well 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 well. it's some of it is performance art art. yes (laughs) yes some of it is just because it's performance doesn't make it art that's okay If there's no artistic merit to the performance, it is not performance art. Well, I mean, the, the difference between actors and theatrical participants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm a bitch for saying that. But. No, not at all. Not at all. Like, you have... Don't cheapen actual artwork by calling someone in a catsuit performance art. I, okay, I well, feel... I, mean, like, I am triggered because I'm literally wearing a catsuit right now. I'm at, like, a normal drag show. Like, I'm in a, a catsuit, like, doing Beyonce impersonation or something. I have... I, <laughs> triggered wearing a cat suit right now <laughs> i'm gonna put my foot in my mouth before someone listens to this and i get canceled no not at all not at all no i think i mean honestly i it's interesting that you just said that because you know as an artist as an artist that has receipts as an artist that has worked very very hard on your craft every single time you're on stage and when you're off i think for anyone that has worked that hard for a set amount of years, at least five, I'll say, you've gone beyond that. Yeah. You have the right to give your opinion and to own your opinion. Yeah, I and agree with that. Especially, I mean, you're not trying to, I think for any artist, because we get scared about that in our culture. Like, we're just like, well, we don't want to be canceled. But it's like, no, like, just think about how you're voicing your opinion. You know, if, it's, if you're trying to voice it so that it's constructive or that it is you know, trying to bring light to an issue, yeah. that's one thing. If you're trying to tear someone down or, uh, you know, attack someone that's a different thing you know what i mean so and you should be you should be addressed for that but if your opinion is something that is valid and that is constructive and that is a comment on an aspect especially of the art and of the industry that people need to remember is that there are people who are participants and there are people who are actually doing 
Yeah, and, and there's a difference between an entertainer and an artist. Exactly. I think that, you know, that is something that people forget a lot. They're like, oh, it's art. I'm yeah. like, where the fuck is the art? Yeah, it's like, it's not always <laughs> art, you know? I mean, I, I, I've even done just things. Because, no, I've yeah. even done things where people are like, oh, it's art. I'm just like, no, I didn't no, even. No, that was just fun. <laughs> that was just fun. I'm not even going there. And I appreciate them seeing, you know, the layers in it. But yeah, it, it, no, it's totally true. It's really, really true. Well, let's say, oh, wait. Before we take this break, though, there is a show that is now on FX, and I'm really obsessed with it. And you want to talk about fashion. You want to talk about style. You want to talk about history. It's called Fosse and Verdon. It's like I'm really fucking obsessed with it right now. I've been listening to the cabaret soundtrack like over and over again. All I want to do is just snap hanging off a chair sideways. Like you're going to you do that right here. You're going to come home one day. I'm just going to be like hanging off a chair. Just like, how are you doing? <laughs> just just snapping it away snapping it away uh, because the, the show is really is amazing Michelle Williams is an amazing astounding actress and she really gives it her all as um, playing Gwen Verdon Gwen Verdon is, was, is considered one of the best greatest dancers on Broadway ever to exist in history. Yeah. Um, and I will agree with that because I've been watching videos of her and she moved like liquid. She was Bob Fosse's third wife, if I'm not mistaken, and his main muse. And, you know, with him, I think to the day he died pretty much, or I think they were separated. Um, but um, she created some of the greatest works with him and yeah. really was the person behind some of the greatest works that he ever created. And... She is a woman that desperately is being recognized more. There's a documentary, I think, coming out about her um, pretty soon. I want to, if not soon, I think it's already out because the trailer was from December 2018 that I saw. Um, but the show is just, it's just absolutely astounding. And the style, the style of dancing, the style of clothes, how they even used sex in Broadway when, no, when everyone was terrified to do it. Yeah. You know, at that time, I think it was just really, really interesting. Um, but I just wanted to mention that show. So if anyone is out there listening right now, please watch it. If you're going to listen to this later, please turn it on after this sh- like episode and start watching it and start doing your stretches, bitches. Because we're going to start hitting it with uh, the flash mobs, some Bob Fosse flash mobs. Bob Fosse. <laughs> I can't talk. Bob, Bob Fosse flash mobs. <laughs> no, Fosse. I can't do it. That's Fosse like a vocal warm up. Some Fosse mobs. <laughs> Fosse mobs. There Fosse you go. Mo- <gasps> That's oh the name God. of a show. Hashtag Fosse Mob. We copyrighted it. No, we can take it yet. <laughs> no, we can take it. <laughs> Someone get on that. <laughs> intern. Intern. Where's my Emily? I need to get an Emily. I need to get an intern. At least someone to do the printouts and highlight things for me. Yeah, an intern would be great. It would be really great. Well, we're going to take a little break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about one of the greatest designers ever to exist in history. A designer in his short career um, transformed how we see fashion, how we view beauty as just humans in general and his name is alexander mcqueen Woo-hoo. we'll be right back people the track you're listening to during the break is astral traveling by keto if you're tuned in you're listening to full service radio and we'll be right back
Okay, we are back. You are listening to the Beauty RKO, your fashion history comedy podcast. I am your host, Professor Noir, and we are with my very special guest, returning guest, uh, nightlife performer. I don't even want to say drag anymore. Nightlife performer. I don't even know if I would call it that anymore at this it's, point. It's not. It's you. It's all you. It's all Literally, it's all you on stage and off stage, but nightlife performer, Miss Anna Latour. Hello. You're still here. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for waking me up this morning and saying, <laughs> I'll meet you at the line. <laughs> right? <laughs> so... We are here today because every single episode, I need to teach the kids. I need to teach the kids, and I hope the students are taking notes, because we are here to talk about the late, the great, the amazing Lee Alexander McQueen in this episode called Runway on Fire, Intro into McQueen. <sighs> Spooky. Ooh. Ooh. I fan myself. That made me a fan, little... Fan yourself. Give me a little heat flash. Fan yourself. Don't cut yourself up with those nails. <laughs> I have like one left. I know. So Lee Alexander McQueen, CBE, which stands for Commander of the Order of the British Empire, um, was a British fashion designer and couturier. He worked as chief designer at Givenchy from 1996 to 2001 and founded his own Alexander McQueen label in 92. His achievements in fashion earned him four British Designer of the Year awards, 96, 1997, 2001, and 2003, as well as the CFDA's International Designer of the Year Award in 2003. McQueen died by suicide in 2010 at the age of 40 at his home in Mayfair, London. That is it. It's like, <laughs> his dad. <laughs> um, Alexander McQueen, and thank you, Wikipedia. And it's so funny because like, I don't always like to use Wikipedia, but when I have to just get out the basic information, like, I love them for that, because they just, yeah. like, no, they just they lay create, it out so well. Great, great blurbs. So, Alexander McQueen was born March 17th, 1969, in, Lewis, in Lewisham, London, to Scottish taxi driver Ronald and social science teacher Joyce McQueen. McQueen was the youngest of six children. It was reported that he grew up in a council flat, but in fact, the McQueens moved to a terraced house in Stratford in his first year. Terraced houses in England are usually like in the burbs, if I'm not mistaken. And they literally have like kind of this like, they were originally these like houses that were all brick. They were connected houses and they had this kind of like mosaic tiled like front, almost like a nice like mosaic terrace in the front. So that's how they're like terraced houses. They're really cute. I actually really want one, but they're like a million dollars now. Or a million pounds. Uh, <laughs> McQueen then attended Rockby School and left at age 16 in 1985 with one O-level in art. I don't know what O-level is. They have all these levels in the British education system. Their education system is so confusing. It's, it's so confusing. It's like, and the thing is, it's like when you're there, you're like, it's not confusing. America's confusing. I'm like, I don't think so. But I don't want to be American about it. Please do not quote me on this kind of thing to people. Um, going on to complete a course in tailoring at Newham College and serve an apprenticeship with Savile Row Tailors Anderson and Shepard before joining Jeeves and Hawks and later the theatrical costumiers, Angels and Bermans. The skills he learned as an apprentice on Savile Row helped him earn a reputation in the fashion world as an expert in creating an impeccably tailored look. While serving his apprenticeship, McQueen attended the Rosetta Art, Co- Rosetta Art Center, led by Yvonne Humble, 
who also wrote his reference that saw him go straight on to the MA fashion course at Central St. Martin's College of Art and Design. Um, so let's start unpacking a little bit about McQueen. Okay. Uh, McQueen was the l'enfant terrible, as he was called in fashion. He was like... child of fashion. Yeah, and like, well, the thing is, like, I did an episode about Jean-Paul Gaultier a couple weeks ago, and he was the first enfant terrible of fashion. Yeah. And then McQueen... That makes complete sense. Yeah, like, he completely, like, he was that club kid that brought that to the runway. McQueen was kind of that... Not even kind of. McQueen was that second... Not even that second wave. He was part of that wave of club kids in London, bringing that high yeah. fashion onto the runways of London and then onto the runways of Paris. Um, McQueen's education, especially his tailoring, that is the essence. And a lot of people, I don't think, know that about him. No, yeah, but that is kind of, that is the... The, the core. The, yeah, the core of, of his design like style is, is extremely impeccable, like... Perfect tailoring. Perfect. If it's ta- not perfect, it's not. It's not going out. It's not going out. So McQueen, um, you. A lot of us have seen his work. I mean, like his show, his retrospective at the Met, Savage Beauty, revolutionized fashion exhibitions up till now. I mean, like it was. I think it's still touring around the world. Yeah. And it was. I think it was up for like a almost a year. Yeah. It was. I think it was supposed to be eight. I think it was supposed to be eight months and they gave it an extension because when I went, it was during the extent because I thought I missed it. Yeah. And then I went and then I found out they had re-extended it. And, you know, so if you have gone to Savage Beauty, which millions of people did, and you're listening to this episode, which I hope millions of people are. (laughs) Not there yet, but um, but um, his work is known for its extreme. It's it's the, the extreme aspects of his work are what's really like people think about within McQueen. So the lobster claw shoe from Lady Gaga's video Bad Romance was McQueen. That full outfit actually was from his last collection of Atlantis by McQueen where it was um, mirrored um, iridescent. I don't know what that actually was. The I think, material. I think it was acrylic. I, it, was, it was acrylic, but it looked oh. like scales. Yeah, it was. But it was. Yeah, it was small acrylic beads that were like sewn all over to look exactly. to give like a, a reptilian scale effect. Well, probably like acrylic paillettes because they were yeah. very big circles. Yeah, and they were sewn like scales all over this beautiful outfit with um uh uh Edwardian not Edwardian but an Elizabethan actual silhouette. Yeah, so. Very much. To, let's take it way back. So Alexander McQueen, being like super British, super Anglophile, threw in so much fashion history into all of his clothes. All of his clothes. His um, education, going back to what we were saying originally, on Savile Row is what really turned him into the designer that we know of today. So without that education, we wouldn't see the silhouettes. Um, what McQueen would reference were was a lot of the past. So he would reference Elizabethan silhouettes, especially like male silhouettes, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, for, using for the women. yeah using the the male. So, oh, you, that's what you just. But said. no, but keep yeah. going. No, but and also that goes back to because he had been doing that since the beginning of of uh, his career, and so like a lot of fashion historians credit like that very tailored uh, women's work pant to be the. The creation of Alexander McQueen. McQueen. He was the first person to really offer like very finely tailored 
dress pants for women. Well, even let's go up, let's go up the body to the torso. Yeah. So let's start with the jacket. When McQueen would do a jacket with the way he would cut a jacket, if you ever look at fo- if you ever look at the paintings of you know Queen Elizabeth or that era of the Elizabethan era. So like one, you obviously have the high collars, the high frilly collars, and everyone knows about that. But if you look at the sharpness of the shoulders and the sharpness and the strictness of the actual bodice itself that the people are wearing. That's what you then saw in the McQueen jacket. Yeah. So the shoulders were very, very sharp. He would maybe even add a shoulder pad or extend it even higher to where the shoulder comes, at, comes up to a point. Then he would really tighten the sleeve and make a very slim sleeve that moved with the body. Still yeah. kept its structure, but moved with the body. The bodice itself is then fitted almost like armor so that it just created this very smooth rounded silhouette even or even square silhouette if need be yeah i think armor is a really really good description for his clothing because yeah and, even and he, he said sa- that and he yeah. said that about his clothes quite often in interviews and what was what is his most famous quote about in reference to being asked about armor and stuff is, is he said um pussy noir is the only does only person i ever want to dress yeah that no that actually yeah that's what i was about to say he said that he did say that yeah he said that <laughs> <laughs> No, he said, I don't want to make women beautiful. I want men to fear the women I dress. Exactly. And that's, and, and oh my God. Oh like, my God. Well, fucking let's, hell. So, yes. like, let's, I can even, let's talk even about this um, one of his shows where you talk about fearing the women that he dressed. And we'll just go into this collection really quickly. Um, one of his really famous collections was, I'm getting out of the microphone as I'm like flipping paper, was called Horns uh, or the Horn of Plenty. And so, the show was, it was uh, presented uh, fall 2009 in Paris, um, just over 10 years ago. Well, this was not 10 years ago. Well, yeah, 10 years ago. This were in 2019. Yeah. yeah. Um, for the occasion, McQueen sent models down the runway wearing elegant skirt suits and dresses in, in shades of red, black, and houndstooth. This is that houndstooth collection. Um, the, like, with pyre mirrored, of trash in the center. With the pyre of trash in the center. Oof. And in houndstooth that mirrored couture in craftsmanship and execution. As for the beauty look, makeup artist Peter Phillips gave the models bleached out brows, now iconic ex- and now iconic extreme, oversized red lips. Exaggerate to the point of ridiculous and reminiscent of Lee Bowery's smeared lips. For the models who weren't wearing Philip Treacy hats... Hairstylist Guido Palo created sculptures on top of each model's head with aluminum drink cans and plastic wrap. Echoing the beauty aesthetic, echoing the beauty aesthetic, the collection was meant to poke fun at traditional French couture with garments made out of trash bags and what looked like bubble wrap. So one, this is interesting because when we first talked about doing the show the other day, I was saying, what are your favorite collections? And I think you said this is one of your favorite collections. Yeah, it's stunning and it's and it's a, and it's still considered i there's many collections of mcqueen that are to me are more subversive than this in my opinion yeah. but this is considered commercially one of the most subversive collections that he's done because it literally was trash a, a trash it literally was trash and if you look at these clothes they you know you see these very elaborate hound's tooth with this sheen to it when you see it on the runway that's garbage that's literally like plastic wrap and garbage that was cut, sewn, and intricately woven into each other to make these beautiful garments, to make thousands of tens of thousands of dollars of couture per piece. Yeah. Um, but this also goes into what he was saying in that quote that he wants 
the men to fear the women that he's dressing. This was that to that extreme. Like, we're talking about bleached out eyebrows and, like, the scariest face possible. Yeah, they look terrifying. The iconic red lip that we, that we think of when we think about makeup and about femininity, about women, like the iconic red lip. He took that to the extreme where it's just it's like, like... basically a red beard. Like it's like the whole beard. bottom half of the face. Exactly. And it's, it, almost, it almost gives me this idea of, like, fearing that woman of this woman's going to eat you. Yeah. It has, like, a very, very kind of, like, a... Carnivorous. Carnivorous kind of a vor kind of a aspect. You yeah, know? exactly, exactly. And this... You sh- look at this beautiful, beautiful woman who's... There's something about her that's so ugly, but you just kind of, like... You are afraid she's going to eat you, but you kind of want her to eat you. Well, I mean, think about... Let's talk about his other collection, um, where it was all the women in the box, in the glass box. Yeah, so the Voss collection. The Voss collection. One of, again, one of your favorite collections, one of my favorite collections. He, this was f- uh, fall 2001? No. Um, no, I want to say 2004. 2004, yeah, that yeah. sounds yeah. more correct. So like fall 2004, and he, in the middle of this giant room, he would always show in like these wild spaces, warehouses. One time, my fa- one of my favorite collections, fall 2002, he's showing the conciergerie where Marie Antoinette spent her last days before she was beheaded. And so in the Voss collection, he showed it in this big warehouse space, and there was a glass box, and all the audience is surrounded by this glass box. Yeah, and it was a, it was a two-way mirror. And it was a two... You, please, you explain. Okay, I want you to yeah, explain, so it because this is your collection. You like, like, this is like, ooh. So there's a big. We, just got, we both just got chills. Yeah. Well, yeah. I got a little wet. You might have to. I won't have to scrape you off the seat, are <laughs> I? But um, no, I'll just slide right off. Um, <laughs> so yeah, big, 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 huge cube with two-way mirrors, and so for like the hour before the show, is this the the audience and the buyers and the, and the press are coming in. They have to sit facing this box on all four sides, well, on three sides. Mm-hmm. And, and stare at themselves. Exactly. Um, and then when it's time for the show to start, the lights went down and they flipped the mirror so that now you can see into the box. Yes. And it's this box with a box inside of it. Yes. And the models start to walk and it has this kind of like very, very kind of um, like asylum kind of a vibe a lot of the models have like head bandages on and there's like birds attacking them and they feel like and the models are like walking as if they're like kind of drugged up drugged up and disturbed and yeah yeah. and then then turns out the inside of the box was now a mirror and the models cannot see the press and and so they are now they have to confront themselves while people watch and it's like this very very Kind of bizarre. Ooh, I just got. I mean, like, let's. I mean, like, oh my god, oh my god, bring out the suitcases, <laughs> bring out the suitcase, unpack this. So that. So just even talking about that alone in 2004. Let's just think about culturally where we were. We were at the start of the me generation. We were at the start of celebrity exposing themselves and using that as their bargaining chip and as their money. Yeah. Like, we're in the era of Paris Hilton and all those it girls really just not doing anything and exposing their lives and themselves and, and literally their vaginas, um, but also having to co- confront all of those things. I mean, like, celebrities were losing their minds having to confront, losing their minds in public. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and then models themselves to a certain degree as well, we're falling out of fashion on, um, on magazines. Yeah. So models, even, I could see that being a thing about models having to confront their own beauty while in the public eye, while in the public spectrum, while all these onlookers are judging them. Yeah. And, try, and pulling something, trying to get something out of them. Yeah, that show was, was really... And then um, 
And then towards the end of the show, once all the clothes had been seen, and then the, the, I think I think the final garment of that show was the razor clam dress. Yes, it was. Um, which were all just like picked off of the and they were they were they were oh. dived razor clams, which they were like fresh like picked out of like the sea yeah. off the beach by hand. Beautiful column style dress, high collar, all made out of razor clams. That the model just like walked down and like broke the shells off of the dress as she walked, and you hear them like clattering to the floor exactly and and then the it kind of goes quiet and there's uh the, the the mirror breaks the mirror breaks on the the inside box on and the it inside falls box. down around and shatters and flies up and there's this very very large like almost um like uh, not gustav clint but alphonse muka like uh, um uh, um he is a um, very famous he is the he is the image of Art Nouveau where it's yeah. that very dreamy fantasy but very nude and sexual image of a woman um like either very of, thin voluptuous or like long hair and like that laid al- laid along a chaise and she had a, a gargoyle mask on exactly like a, a leather and metal gargoyle mask had all these crazy tubes on it and stuff and there was just butterflies all over her. And so, yeah, so the box was filled with butterflies. Yeah. And she was laying on a chaise that was covered also in twigs and flowers and dead leaves. And she is sucking on it. She's sucking gas through this gas mask shaped like a gargoyle in leather. Very like steampunk, but even more dark. Yeah. And much more worn in. And the glass box falls down and breaks and just shatters. And all these butterflies fly out. All around her, moths and butterflies. It's, I think it was moths, actually, not even butterflies. I think it was moths. It's probably moths. Yeah, I think that it was moths. That sounds a little more McQueen style. Yeah, yeah. And it was a collection. I mean, it was one of his many collections where the, the audience, the editors were just terrified. They didn't know what to say. Yeah. You know, so it, but even moths, that's kind of like, even then, a little another small layer of like fun kind of symbolism there is, is what do moths do? They yeah. eat clothing. Yes, exactly, exactly. And these clothes were moth-eaten clothes. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, this is a, another collection where McQueen really shocked the audience and made the audience feel something so, and made yeah. the audience question themselves. I mean, like, these the, I remember the I remember some of the reviews on this when it came out and Editors are really questioning themselves and what they did in fashion and what all this was about. And yeah. we're very uncomfortable by it. So you have to look deterioration like straight in the eyes and yes. watch it presented to you on a silver platter. Yes. And then kind of have to digest that. Exactly. Even though you kind of didn't order it. <laughs> exactly. And so it's interesting, too, to see that out of McQueen because when the, clothes, when the show's all said and done, when the clothes are off the runway, what are you left with? the most beautifully tailored, mastered pieces you could ever, ever imagine in the store at your fingertips. Yeah. I remember going into McQueen's stores and I lived in New York and looking at these clothes and just like, oh my God, this looked exactly like it did on the runway with these exaggerated sleeves and the length is like down to the floor and like the fabrics are so luscious. (laughs) Like so luscious. So luscious. And... It, it, and, and, but the tailoring, the finishes, perfect. Every single yeah, thing is every perfect. Every single seam is perfect. Every single seam is perfect. Fucking McQueen. Beauty Archeo. Fashion History Comedy Podcast, girl. I know. We just like had a moment. We I just know. literally. I, love, I just love him so much. I just love him so much. He has some McQueen sex right here. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of his biggest inspirations, I think that we should mention, is Isabella Blow. Yes. Isabella Blow, for people who don't know, um, was 
I would say kind of like the poor little rich girl almost or like Miss the Mrs. Habersham of like fashion to a certain degree. Like she wore and famous famous hat designer Philip Treacy. She wore Philip Treacy. She actually fa- she actually discovered. So Isabella Blow, let me go back. Was a fashion personality but worked in fashion. She yeah. had been in, she had worked at British Vogue for a while. She, you know, worked at like high-end boutiques and like stores. She worked as a consultant, but she more than anything was a connector. She connected people. She created talent. She cultured talent. She founded talent. She founded Alexander McQueen. Yeah. She brought him to the public. She got him funding. She put him in the position that he was in. She went and she, didn't <coughs> she? She bought his entire uh, first collection. It, it wasn't even his first actual collection. It was his uh, his graduation collection. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. A, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Like that's his first collection, in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. She well, bought. Right, yeah, because she bought that because also as a student in Central St. Martin's, he was very like. He was, I mean, like a, the most, like a talented student. He really stood out. Just how he would cut a garment, how he would see, I call it like the origami of tailoring. Yeah. Because he would see tailoring in this like. Well, he could cut a pattern onto fabric without having one. Without having one, yeah. Not even just a, not a, not a pattern that exists. He could create a pattern onto fabric that didn't previously exist and it would. There you go. Yeah. Fits. And he could, he could see a garment all the way through. He was really an architect. When it came to fashion. So Isabella Blow um, founded Philip Treacy, the famous um, London designer, hat, d- hat designer. Um, Philip Treacy and Alexander McQueen worked r- very close together until the day he died on all those beautiful headpieces and hats that he would do in his collections. Um, and Isabella Blow herself, you know, donned all these clothes. She wore McQueen. She wore, she wore Philip Treacy all the time. All the time. All the time. And to the grocery store. Yes, and her her connection with Alexander McQueen was so intense. So, you know, as his career was rising, they got closer, and he would, like, invite her out to her, like, country estate in Scotland, and he would, like, you know, go falcon hunting and, like, you know, go riding and, like, get immersed into this, like, old-world aristocracy very, of the British, very, very British, yes. Very, very Anglophile, very British. And that's what really, like, ins- uh, that's what also inspired so much of his work. Not just in one collection, in all of his collections. Yeah. Very much so. Um, Isabella Blow also sadly took her own life um, after McQueen. No, before. Before, it was before, yeah, sorry, yeah, it was before. It was, it was her death and his mother's death that kind, kind of, of... Yeah. Um, Isabella Blow was very depressed for a lot of her career in fashion and also was a person that never really found just like her stability in fashion. She was always moving from one thing to another. And And a lot of it had to do with with McQueen kind of ditching her. Yeah, I was just about, and that's, if you don't mind just saying that, like talking about that a little bit. Oh yeah, well, and he started to to become more successful and more successful and and not have time for um, who he called Izzy, you know? Yeah. Um, and so then they, they had like a huge falling out and um, she would still, you know, come to the shows and, and stuff, but she just wasn't his, his number one anymore. Yeah, there was, I remember there was an interview they did after, I want to say, was it the Atlantis collection? I think it was the collection before that. They did an interview with her, asking her, like, what'd you think of the show? Yeah, I don't like, think she was alive during Plato's Atlanta. No, she wasn't alive during... It was... I think it was the collection or two before, or the year before. And you can just tell. 
She's that just, they didn't talk anymore. Because yeah. like it, it was like the most but vague. Can you imagine on her, on her side? It's like, I found this person. I am like almost, I'm pretty much responsible for, yeah. for the, the label, Alexander McQueen. Yeah. You know? And then to see him. Not just the label, but the muse, like the lifestyle, yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. And like, uh, and then like even on his end, he's like, oh, well, I hurt this person and it, you know, and they didn't have anyone in their darkest time. And, and then to kind of take him now to that place, it was like, oof, yeah, this is a dangerous cycle. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, like, you know, we, we didn't, I will say this, like, this is just an intro episode, you guys, to McQueen. It was just, I really wanted to just have like an honest, open, nerdy conversation about the greatness that he, he was and like his inspirations. But there's so much more to his life that, yeah. you know, definitely needs to be explored. And I encourage everyone to look more into his life and to watch documentaries. I'll definitely try to keep up, you know, posting. That and like, new documentary on him is amazing. E- excellent, excellent, excellent. Is it Savage Beauty is the new documentary? Did they call it that? I, think, they it might, it? I think it might just be called McQueen. McQueen. Yes, it's just called McQueen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure, though. Um, but, no, it is. It's just okay. called McQueen. Um, and I encourage people to look more into his life, but I'm going to keep up posting information about him and shows and things like that throughout the page of Beauty Archeo um, because this is a designer that really, I mean, was just taken too soon. Like, he, oh, yeah. he went out way too soon. Can you imagine what fashion would look like now, 10 years later? You know what? I, I, the thing is this, though. I want to say, oh, my God, it would be so amazing. But even he was getting a little bit... He, his, it was becoming a little too polished. Yeah, the too. strictness that he felt from the fashion industry yeah. was really suffocating his work at that point. And I don't know if, still to this day, I don't know if his collections would have survived if he had survived. Yeah, that's fair. I really don't. Um, we'd at least have more armadillo heels. <laughs> right? <laughs> Right, we need more lobster claw shoes. Like, shoot, love a lobster. Oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah, but just McQueen is is so permeable, and not only just both of our lives individually, but like so many, so so many artistic people. (laughs) I was like, don't Um, go too far away from the microphone, girl. You know, um, in all mediums, yeah, find inspiration in McQueen. Exactly. Um, I mean, gosh, the amount of celebrities that have worn McQueen in videos. yeah I just and when we were sitting at the house and you were sitting at the, at the kitchen table and you were like so kind of brainstorming through uh, topic ideas for, for future future podcasts and this yeah. one and, and we just kind of both looked at each other and we were like McQueen yeah because you looked over at the bookcase and we have like multiple multiple McQueen, McQueen books, books just yeah. on the wall in the living room and, and then like I like Every day I look down at my wrist, I have the McQueen logo tattooed onto my arm. Literally like, has the McQueen logo tattooed on her arm. Like, and so it was just kind of this, like, very, kind of very raw moment between the two of us where we just kind of both said it. At, like, yeah. We were like, McQueen. It, it, like, makes sense. Oh, gosh. Oh, Alexander McQueen. Oh, Lee. Okay, Lee. can I tell a quick little story really fast? Yes. So, one of my first memories I have of kind of feeling a little threatened and embarrassed by uh, you when I first met you a long time ago. Uh-oh. People always apparently feel we, threatened we were, when they meet me. Well, now I don't, but... Uh, <laughs> but we were at a bar, and we were talking about Alexander McQueen, and I just kept referring to him as Lee. 
And you just looked over me with like the cuntiest expression. And you were like, you don't get to call him that. <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> like sucked the air out of the room. And I was like, whoo. I told you I have a very unhealthy love and protection of the fashion world. I was like, holy shit, bitch. I don't even think I was talking to you. <laughs> I'm, I'm so very... Because, yeah, he goes back even just in our relationship with each other. Yeah. It's like so many McQueen things. <laughs> I'm but, yeah, very One protective. of the first snappy things you ever said to me was, you don't get to call him that. I'm very protective. Of- like my whole face turned like beet red. Because <laughs> I was like, ah. Because, like, in my mind, I'm just like, were you there? Were you there for Fall 2001? I don't think you were. So, like, I was like, you don't get to say it. And you're like, I'm 17. Like, <laughs> like chill out, bitch. I was just born. <laughs> I literally just left the Met from, like, Savage Booty exhibit. <laughs> and I'm just like, Savage Booty, please. I've seen all of those clothes several times over. Which I was like, when Savage Booty came out, too, like, I went to see the ex- exhibition. And believe me, I was just floored by it. Yeah. But I also remember being so pretentious towards people. Like, I've seen all this before. <laughs> because I also, I mean, like, I was one of those people as, like, the fashion crazy person I am. I, when I'm about to age myself, when people would record things on videotape... <laughs> I know, girl. I can't relate to that. (laughs) I would record the Style Channel because they actually used to show fashion back then. And they would show Fashion Week all week, like live. So I would just record it on... I had like 30 fucking tapes of fashion shows. And I would make sure I recorded McQueen's shows and all his documentaries. And like, I was... I kept a catalog of every single fashion thing I can get my hands on when I was like... From like 13 on up. Yeah. I kept all of my Vogues. All of my... I still... You've seen the house. Yeah. Like, the, the, well, I've, I've scaled down now. Yeah, there's a lot of Vogue in the house. Yeah, like I've kept all those like things because those... Especially him, you know, designers like him. I mean, Valentino, Tom Ford, Lagerfeld. Um, they all like... These designers definitely like inspired just how I dress, how I think about life, how I see beauty. And I mean, McQueen more than anything expands my brain every time I look at his work. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was Alexander McQueen. That was a little bit about Alexander McQueen. There's so much more. So we're going to continue like this a, conversation. A minuscule amount. Yeah. We're, we should definitely continue this conversation online. Um, thank you so much, Anna, for coming here today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. It was beautiful to have you again and like just nerd out with you. Um, definitely. We'll probably have you back at some point. We'll talk more about fashion and I love I'm in fashion. Uh, I'm in fashion. It's that's also on your arm <laughs> tattooed in giant Lady Gaga letters on your arm. Oh my God. See the Lady Gaga. I'm really pumped because the May Sissy May 21st on Tuesday, I do Sissy that Tuesday, my show at trade every third Tuesday of the month. Uh, the show is at 10. I go on stage at 10. The doors are at eight. It's free. So come, um, I, it's the Gaga promote, promote, promote. promote yeah. Um, it's the Gaga Ball yes. Part Two. So I'm doing the B sides, bitch. <laughs> it's called Gaga Ball, the B sides. <laughs> uh, so yeah, thank you everyone for joining us. This is the Beauty Archeo. I am your host, Professor Noir. This is your fashion history comedy podcast. I broadcast 
every Friday at 1 live from the Lion Hotel here in D.C. on Full Service Radio. But you can always listen to more and just download episodes and talk to your friends about them and share it with your friends because I love sharing information with all of you. And I will talk to you next week. And I hope you're taking notes because you're getting a test soon. Bye.